Well, good morning, church. It is a privilege to be here. Amazing. This light, bright light shining right in my eye. It's good, but it is awesome to worship with you. I don't know what happened this morning, but it was epic. It was really, really superb. I don't know, maybe you woke up early and meditate on the Lord, but it was, I, I felt the presence of the unity of the Spirit, and this is amazing. Let's keep it up. We are continue our series, as Tim said, and we find ourselves looking into the eldership, the role of the elders. If you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, a very, very appropriate passage for us. Peter is writing for the suffering church, and in many ways we could associate uh, the, in the time of uncertainty, in time of persecution, in a time of personal struggles with sin and with opposition, Peter writes First Peter. And it's encouraging us to have an upward look upon Jesus, to have our life with eternal perspective, and to seek our glory and reward from him. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? First Peter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proven to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Father, we pray and submit before these words to you so that you may have impact on our lives. May you bless us this morning to worship you by reading and expounding and listening to your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Why do we need elders? Who are these people and why the church needs them? From the get-go, I want to submit to you that leadership is a biblical idea. It's not just an invention, an old-fashioned thing that the church kept. And in a modern society, democratic society, we don't really need elders. Leadership is essential to life and the mission of the church. Without the leadership, the church flounders and staggers its progress in its pilgrimage to the better place. Lack of leadership seems to be a plague in the church and also in modern society today. Listen what, what Warren Bennis, a foremost authority on the secular leadership says. Where have all the leaders gone? 
Leadership today seems, appears to be an endangered species. On the other hand, poor leadership doomed the people to waste their years wandering in circles in a wasteland. Leadership is biblical. Sheep needs shepherd, church needs leaders. This is a simple truth that often is overlooked by us. We tend to think that mature people don't need leaders. Sheep, those who are sick, unintelligent, not so smart, they need shepherds. But for us, we are fine. We think that we're spiritually mature and really don't need any kind of leadership. We are wrong if we think so. I need shepherd, you need shepherd, elders need shepherds, we all need shepherds. Each and every one of us must submit, and the Bible teaches us, submit to your leaders. And it's good for our soul because by submitting and following and making ourselves accountable, we would become better Christians and we look like Christ. Leaders are shepherds of the flock and they do a lot of duties, being the teacher of the truth, guardians of the flock, keeping watch of the people's soul, pray for the sick, being overseers of their affairs, and so on. But what is the most important role of an elder? What is the biblical way of shepherding? This is given that the church needs leaders, but what kind of leaders does it need? Let me tell you that the role of the elders is to shepherd the church of Christ by leading it to maturity. God gave as a gift elders, apostles, teachers, evangelists, and when Christ gives gifts, he doesn't give like we do on Christmas Eve, right? Something that we might use. When Christ gives gifts, he intends for us to use them. And a biblical way of leading and shepherding is to lead by motivating and enabling people to achieve what otherwise would not be possible to achieve. Elders must lead by the word of God and by personal example, by ethical influence, the church. We'll read this passage from Peter. I want to harvest these truths into three baskets and we name them very simply. Number one, the recognition of a true elder. We must recognize who that is. And we answer the question, who is that? Who are those people? Verse one, we'll see that Christ, Paul, uh, Peter is exhorting and he, had, and he identifies those elders. Number two, the responsibility of the elder. Responsibility of the elder. We'll find that main responsibility is to shepherd the flock and we'll see the mode and the style and the way how we should shepherd. Verses two and three. And we'll ask the question, what should they do? And the third thing, we'll answer question why in verse four, and we'll name this reward. What is the reward of the elder? Recognition, responsibility, and reward. Look with me, verse one. Therefore, Peter starts, therefore. And he addresses this congregation, suffering congregation, because in verse chapter four, verse 12, 
chapter 4, verse 12, we see that he's addressing the whole church as, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you which comes upon you for your testing. The church is in the fiery ordeals, and therefore he admonishing them to look on Christ and to live godly. And therefore, in chapter 5, verse, verse 1, he starts and he said, Therefore I addressed elders also. During the time of persecutions, I address you and exhort you to live properly and to act like God told you to act. So it, this is a sandwich between 4, 12, and 5, 1. Peter addresses now the fellow elders. And in verse 1, he's basically doing three things. He exhorts the elders. He identifies the leaders. And then he associates with them. He exhorts the elders. The word begins with, therefore, I exhort the elders. I exhort you. During the trial persecution, I exhort you be an elders. You are the designated officers in the church. You over overseers, elders, and shepherds. I just want to say that these words, this word elder or word shepherd in verse 2, or the word oversight it's talking about one office. And we find many, many different um, aspects of the shepherding and of the eldership. But if we look at this office, it basically comes with the three different names. Elders, which is here in verse 1, or from Greek, presbyteros, where is presbytery comes from. People of older age, not necessarily elder has to be an older of, of age, but it contrasted with the young and mature. So when Bible talks about elders, it doesn't talk about the old of age and crimple, crimple and, and, and gray hair, but it talks about mature in his walk with Christ. The next word appears as overseer. Sometimes, like in, first, in Titus 1.5, says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. In verse 7, he said, for the overseer must be above reproach of God. This is interchangeable word for the overseer or another person who is, who is the same one as the elder. And the overseer comes from word overseeing, just seeing over. You have the scope of your congregation, and you must see for the benefit of the flock. It is interchangeable with elders, but forces one to most significant function of the elders as a superintendent. Superintendent. And Paul clearly implies in 1 Timothy 3, 5, that Episcopus' primary responsibility is to take care of the church. That is the overseer Greek word, Episcopus, or sometimes people say Episcop. And the third name for the same person is shepherd. And we see the verb form here in verse 2, shepherd the flock, and sometimes Jesus called himself a shepherd, a good shepherd. God is called our shepherd, and he calls people under shepherds, the shepherds. And this is most embracing idea of shepherding the flock. God views us as sheep and himself as a shepherd. And when he views us as sheep, I don't think it's necessarily a compliment. And we'll look at the sheep a little bit and to see how distinct they are from the rest of the animals. But Peter said, I exhort the elders. This is the office. I exhort you. You are the, at the front of the flock. You must lead. And it's 
hard for us to swallow this in our democratic society, especially in U.S., when America was found under rebellion as a reaction to the oppression of monarchy, right? We feel entitled to do everything by ourselves. But we see that democracy is not promoted in the Bible. Bible promotes leadership. We should be careful of bringing the world into the word of God or let our experience to dictate what the Bible should tell us to do. Leadership is biblical. He identifies him as elders, as shepherds, and as overseers. And he exhorts him further as a fellow elder. He associates with them. He not only identifies them, he associates with them. And he associates with them on the most humble level. He said, I, your fellow elder and witness of sufferings of Christ. He exhorted them, listen, you have to do your job, and I will be part of you. I am one of you. He could have flexed his apostolic muscle, and he said, I am the apostle, like he began the letter, and this is what you should do. But he said, no, I'm at your level. As the apostolic era come to close, the office of elder emerged as highest level of local authority. There was no higher court to appeal. God placed elders a primary caretaker of the church. And Peter identifies with the flock and with the elders, and he said, I am one of you. I'm fellow elders. And here we see the shift from singularity of the pastor into the plurality of pastors. There's only one singular person who is ruling and dominating completely is Christ Jesus in verse 4, chief shepherd. He's the highest, the ark shepherd. The rest of us under shepherds, and we are working together. We're a fellow under shepherds. And he identifies with them also as the witness of the sufferings of Christ. And this is when we come to the recognition of the elder or the identification of the elder. As Peter associated with the suffering Christ, elders must associate, walk, and cling to the suffering Christ. Peter speaks here now when he talks about witnessing or being witness of suffering of Christ. He says, I qualified as an apostle. I've seen Christ suffer. I've seen him. I've seen him in Gethsemane, crying, Weeping, I've seen him being beaten, and perhaps he was sneaking in into the cross from distant afar and seeing the suffering, dying Jesus. We do not know that, but from the verses, it's enough that it says that I am witness of suffering of Christ. And he remembers. When he mentions this, he remembers in John 10, 11, when Jesus was preaching, he said, I am a good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The shepherd is associated with the chief shepherd who is laying down his life for the sheep. He's the suffering one. The basis of Peter's exhortation to the elders of the church was the example of Jesus Christ as a shepherd. And the epic and the culmination of shepherding and the love of shepherd was shown on the cross. And Peter said, I associate with that type of shepherd. He lays down for his life for the sheep. And this is the basis of my exhortation. And by the way, when he says that I am witness of suffering of Christ, the basic definition of witness is just testify what you saw. 
But if you look carefully in the biblical definition and the take of the early church of this definition, the word martyr comes from the word witness, martyrs. And it become apparent that if you're a witness of Christ, you will be witnessing even to death, even to your own sufferings for Christ, because you will be modeling Christ. Elder, leader, shepherd, overseer, teacher, preacher. Remember, suffering chief shepherd died for your soul. This is the model associated with him. How do we recognize the elder is the one who associates with the crucifying Christ, dying Savior, and models his type of shepherding. But Peter goes on here, not only he associates with us and with the crucifying Jesus, he says, I am partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. You see that in verse 1? I'm partaker. I'm exhorting you in light of suffering, in light of Jesus' suffering, but in light of your glory. Put the eternity on your forehead. Whatever you're going through, it's okay. And shepherding is not easy. Sheep not always following. But because you have a great reward, I will exhort you to look up for glory. Now, Peter is probably the most qualified shepherd to tell this to us. If you remember Peter, he was fallen apostle. Fallen apostle. Three times he betrayed Jesus. And Jesus reinstated him into his shepherding role three times saying, tent my sheep, tent my lamb, shepherd my flock. I'm reinstating you. Recognition of the elder is the one who associates with people, associates with suffering Christ, but also with the resurrected Christ who will bring glory. Shepherding is the glorious thing. I'm really privileged and amazed being in years of shepherding, not because of my ability of necessarily qualification, but because of appointed by God and your following. How elders should lead? By their ethical influence. Spiritual leaders should serve and motivate and enable others to become mature. The first thing we saw in verse 1 that recognized by associating with the crucified Christ. This is how we see that who and, and what elder is. The second thing, we must see that elder has responsibility before God. Elder and the deacon and, and the officer has primary responsibility before God. He's serving the church, but he is serving Christ first and foremost. The church might pay his salary, but it is to Christ that he will give an account. And therefore, Peter said the responsibility starts with command. In verse 2, it's command. There's only one command in the text. It says, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Here's what we see in verse 1, the command, and verse 2, verse 2 command, and verse 2 and 3, the attitude of how you should do that. You know, it's not always when you get to receive the title of leader, you actually a leader, right? If nobody follows, you're not leading anyone. 
And sometimes you might be called a, tie, a, a pastor, but there's someone in the congregation who has much influence on the congregation and he would lead astray. Leader is not so much as a title as a role. As a role. We have a duty to do before God. And command is here very simple. You are the shepherds, not the lords. You are the shepherds, not the lords. You shepherd the flock, and the flock belongs to God. Shepherd the flock. What involves in biblical shepherding? Well, it involves a lot of things. Feeding, preaching. You have to preach and teach. You have to cook the meal, and you have to serve. But we need to be familiar a little bit with the metaphor of flock and the sheep. I mean, it's remarkable that Jesus picked this metaphor of being shepherd and the flock. I just search a little bit about, you know, our, you know, we Americans love sports, right? And I haven't found anything close to sheep in the, in the radar of the names of, of, you know, teams. For instance, we have Bears, Chicago Bears. We have eagles, Philadelphia eagles, dolphins, tigers, falcons, and so on. But I haven't found sheep team. When we were chosen the name for the church, it didn't even dawn on us. Like, oh, maybe we should call ourselves the sheep church. Sheep are not really impressive. And as I said, when God calls us sheep, it's not really a compliment. The shepherd, the flock... It is a lot of work. It's a glorious thing, but it's also a very stinking, dirty job. So with recognition of the true leader, we must see a little bit of the second thing, who this flock is that we should actually lead. Do a little bit of reading about the sheep, and you will find soon that they are not survivors at all. They can't survive on their own. They're not strong, independent creatures, not proud hunters or fierce predators, they can't have any kind of defense. They need a shepherd. I'll give you five things about the sheep a little bit. Sheep are not intelligent. They're dumb. I had my experience with sheep a little bit. Shepherd the flock. They have one rule, follow the leader. And sometimes they recognize who the leader is. Sometimes the leader is another sheep. Real story. The flocking and following uh, instinct of sheep is so strong that it caused the death of 400 sheep in 2006 in eastern Turkey. The sheep plunged to their death after one of the sheep tried to cross a 15-meter deep ravine, and the rest of the flock followed. One sheep jumped, and 1499 followed. As the wine was filled with the dead sheep, the rest jumped on a soft pillow. Shepherds from the nearby, they're just having breakfast, and it caused them the loss of the sheep calculated $75,000. That's how sheep are, not really intelligent, following anything that would lead them. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about us. You know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, right? We're not like you and I. We all sheep. And that's just a fact. Sheep are not, not really intelligent. They're dumb. And sheep are defenseless, vulnerable, can protect themselves. 
You know, if you think about any other animal, they have some kind of protection system, right, mechanism. The cat has hissing and just the cloth. The, the, the dog could bark and just uh, show the teeth. You know, the hedgehog has some, you know, spikes, right? Sheep doesn't have nothing. Doesn't have anything. It has legs, short legs, can't run far. Sometimes sheep roll over into a bat, into its back, and it may not be able to get up without assistance. And after laying down for several hours, he has such distress that he could die. Sounds familiar? Sometimes we have so discouraged that our hands are so down, just I don't I just want to roll over and die. Sheep are directionless. No wonder Isaiah says that we all like sheep gone astray, each one on its own way, right? We are, the sheep doesn't know its house. The cow knows where it belongs. Cow knows its barns. If you shepherd the, if you, if you, uh, the flock of, uh, of herd of, uh, of cows, they will come back. You don't need to drive them back to their barn, but sheep don't. You need to, you need to kind of lead them into their, they have no consistent surveillance navigation system. They wander off and they're lost. One professor of philosophy was arguing against the theory of evolution. He said, well, the sheep is actually speaking against the theory of evolution, you know, survival of the fetus. He would never survive. It just, he would, he would die a long time ago. Sheep are dirty, left without shearing, fleece, every possible thing would stick to it and disease stick to it, there will be like a dirt back walking, they're rarely white, they're always dark and gray and smelly. Sheep needs a shepherd in order to have them clean up and, and uh, protect them from all the diseases, and sheep are above all stubborn animals. It is hard to teach an old dog and new tricks. It is hard to teach any tricks to a sheep. In my experience of shepherding, when I had about 20 sheep years ago, there was one older sheep that was the leader of the flock. We bought them from another owner, and, and that sheep always led that flock to that owner. That was like about 10 miles away. And we have to retrieve them back. And no matter how much we try to please that sheep, nothing happens. So we have to excommunicate her. If you know what I mean. What do you mean? But we must remember with all of that who we are that we belong to God. It says here, shepherd the flock of God. This is not our flock. This is God's flock. However insignificant we are as sheep, we are his flock and he brings value to us. He assigns the value that we belong to God. Belonging assigns value to us. So shepherd must shepherd the flock of God. But look at the attitude. When you know a little bit about the need of the sheep, that they need defense, that they need feeding, that they need protection, they need cleansing, and all of the stuff, you have to have a love of the sheep in order to be in the business. I can't imagine to love cows but shepherd the sheep, right? You need to love the sheep. And that's where the attitude comes from, from the chief shepherd who models this attitude. We have three mentions by Peter here how we should shepherd the flock in what way. 
He describes three attitudes. And I would say attitudes are the most important. They are more important than your other qualifications. If you have a bad, rotten attitude, if you don't love the sheep, you don't love the job, you should not be in the business, no matter what other qualities and talents you have. Number one, shepherding must flow out of a heart, not out of duty. He says here, that exercise an oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Serving voluntarily, not under compulsion, meaning that you are shepherding because you want to, you have a desire. A man should not be not become an elder because he's looking just for a job or career, and it's well paid. No, he doesn't, if he doesn't want the job, like in 1 Peter 3, 1 says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office to over, over, overseer, it is fine work he desires. It is the job that he desires. A man must desire to work. It is not enough to be desire to, have an, to be an elder. You must desire to work and work hard. And it flows out of this desire, I believe, from the calling of God. God calls special people to do a special job. This desire is coming along with God's call in men's to ministry. This is not the self-imposing thing. This is given by God, and this desire is far more than any obstacle in a ministry. It's far more than any powerful opposition in a ministry from the people. It is more important than any other occupations. It is more valuable than any money. No setback should turn shepherd from his ministry. A person who has been called to do the job, an overseer must, might have a depression, might have some temporary vacations, but he can't just sit down back over there and relax. Shepherd's kind of stuck because they're called by God and there's, there's nothing that they desire more. Number two attitude, he says, how you should shepherd the flock. This is the style, this is the mode. Number two, shepherding is about giving, not getting. Is, getting, is you giving constantly, not getting. Forget about you and forget about what you need to get. And your recognition and your and people aspiring to be like you, whatever, the fame, the glory, forget about it. Give, give, give. That's what Jesus did, that's what Peter did, that's what every leader does. He's not serving for the sordid gain, but with eagerness, enthusiasm, positivity, hope. He has gladness of serving. I like how King James translates the sordid gain. He says, it says, filthy lucre. That is disgusting, filthy lucre. If anybody in a ministry because of money, it's a filthy lucre that he desired. Disgraceful gain. Everyone who's in ministry for money has already disqualified himself. Paul was an example of the sort of voluntary eager ministry to Corinthians. He said, here for this time, for the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdened to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Now this comparison of how you shepherd your children. What are you waiting from them that they would give you? Money, fame, recognition, glory. Most likely they won't give you nothing. Kisses and hugs, that's all. 
That's our payment. Yet the servants must be paid. First Timothy 5, 17 and 18, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, meaning double pay, especially those who work hard in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Not sure that I like the comparison with ox, but that's what we have. The third attitude is revealing what, what the style of shepherding is. Number three here, in verse three, the shepherding is leading by example, not lording by force. Leading by example, not lording by force. It's a, not a cowboy style. A cowboy sits on the horse, go from behind, and just drives the flock. The shepherd leads, and he goes in front. He's an exercise and oversight. The authority is given to him, to the allotted flock for him. He exercises in that, but he doesn't mean that he's overlording over them. What is the difference? What is the difference of exercising authority with overlording or lording it over? You see, we have scope. Number one, every leader in a congregation has a scope of his ministry. He doesn't have any other ministries to take care of. Grace Hill Church elders, they're responsible for Grace Hill Church people. We have zero authority outside of this. We have the scope of our ministry. But also exercising of the limit of the authority, lording it over, doesn't mean that lording it, it over you, but lording it over allotted authority given by God. I cannot do anything to you unless God allows this. All we have to do is to preach the word and lead you by the influence, by the moral influence. Beyond God-given authority, we have no authority whatsoever. This is our scope. You see, what the elders sometimes try to do, and we have in later days many of these elders, as I read, we want to do the work of the Holy Spirit and not leading by grace and love, but leading by the law. When we apply the law to you, it is easier to drive you, but it doesn't produce anything good because the law cannot produce anything spiritual, nothing. If you shepherd your, your children this way, it will not produce. You will maybe have a good citizens, but you would not have the spiritual people. This Holy Spirit produces the change, not the elder. We're making things available. We're preaching the word of God. We're explaining. We're modeling by it, but we cannot make you do anything. And there is appropriate thing when the church discipline must apply, but in most of the, the thing in daily sanctification, we can't just make you read your Bible. And if we do, we will not help you. There's no Christian growth by the law. And we are lording it over when we apply the law to you to produce sanctification. There's a shepherding movement. That's how we call shepherding movement, started in the 1970s. They introduced a covenantal relationship between the flock and the shepherds, where it was spelled out that every member of the church must submit to the shepherd in everything. And every member should sign. This movement picked up the steam really fast. In first year, it just got 
100,000 members. People liked the idea at the beginning. The movement gained a reputation as an inhibiting abuse and controlling behavior through the emphasis on obedience to one's personal shepherd. And there was an overemphasis on leaders, leadership, and many church leaders are given complete authority over the lives of those in their flock. Now, that was a Pentecostal charismatic movement, but one of the members of that moment, he said, I would submit to my shepherd even if I got direct revelation from God and my shepherd would tell me to do something otherwise. I will choose to submit to my shepherd. Now, that is a bad shepherding. That is a bad following. Jesus warns disciples not to be like disciples, like Gentiles who exercise authority over given authority in Matthew 20. It says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers and the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall become your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the man, son of man did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. Now, it doesn't mean that spiritual leader is the ring boy of the church either. Like he just tried to please the congregation and just tried to please whatever you want to do, we're going to do whatever you want to preach, we'll preach, you know, however in the style. It's not, it's not that. We are obligated by the clear mandate of the word of God and he decides what the program is. Not me, not you. So as spiritual leader, pastors become a servant leader who exercise a limited authority given by God in order to build up people and lead them to a better place, become more mature people. Now, one thing comes to my mind, Ezekiel 34, if you're familiar with this chapter, if you're not, just read this. This is a story about a bad shepherding. I wish we'd spend more time a little bit earlier than this year on Ezekiel 34. And basically says, God is addressing false shepherd or bad shepherds of Israel. And he says, you have ruled them harshly. You have not fed them, but you fed yourself. You have not seek the benefit of the sheep, but you used sheep for your own gain. You eat the fat skin and slaughter for your gain. And you care less about the flock. You didn't strengthen the weak. Diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. You have not sought for the lost. That is a bad shepherding. Now, instead of careless shepherding, the Lord is calling us to follow his example of caring and loving, pasturing the flock. What is leading by example here? He says that do not lord it over, but lead by example, meaning to become a model. When you whip some, somebody on the back, you have the imprint. This is what the word is here. The example and the imprint. We, as elders, leaders, Sunday school teachers, choir directors, whoever you are, mom and dad, we should be imprint of Jesus. 
And when people look at us, they would see he looks like Jesus, and he has a more influence on me. When you look at a quarter, quarter has imprinted image of George Washington. A piece of metal become valuable because there's an imprint on it. Shepherd, most powerful tool after the preaching of the word of God is the image of Christ in him. That's the power. That's the power. We saw the recognition. We saw the responsibility. Finally, third, the reward. The reward in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why are you in a ministry? Let me ask you this. Why are you doing what you're doing? You see, your disappointment in a ministry rarely comes from hard work. Rarely. MacArthur says, I haven't seen uh, dirt in a ditch digger just being disappointed from work. That's not where disappointment comes from. Disappointment comes from something else, maybe from over-evaluating yourself, maybe over-evaluating people, maybe forgetting where your reward has come from. The proper motivation here is to look upon Christ who is coming. Christ who is coming. He is our reward, not people. The church might pay your salary, but Christ will give, you will give account before Christ. And he will give you the reward, an unfading crown of glory. Now this word appear, when this chief shepherd appears, is very interesting. It comes from Greek word phonerao, meaning revealed. And what it means that this chief shepherd is not somewhere distant, sitting somewhere over there, and he just like waiting until he comes. No, he will appear at some point. And this is a great motivator for the shepherd when he understands that he shepherds right next to the great shepherd, and he's watching him. He's watching him here at the point of time that he would be just appearing and just make it visible, but he's always here, always present, never absent, never leaving, never negligent, never is not caring, always shepherding. We go alongside of this great shepherd. He becomes visible at his coming. Now, if this doesn't give you a cold sweat at times, that you shepherd the flock before the great shepherd who stands right next to you, and at any moment he would, could, could appear and he just make himself visible, maybe we should not be ministering. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. It's an amazing privilege, but it's a scary responsibility. And our reward is not from the congregation. It's not from the money. It's not from the popularity. It's not from the claps and, and likes. Our reward is coming from Christ. And notice when he says that the crown of victory, he's not talking crown of King, his crown of victory, the Olympic Games crown, Christ would give it to us, and it's unfading. And it's unfading. This helps us to seek a reward not from the congregation, not from the popularity, not from the church polity, but from Christ himself. 
If we do otherwise, we'll be like a dog who chases his own tail, tries to please congregation. The desires of ministers is not the crown, though. Crown is the benefit and bonus. You know what elders should look for? You should look for standing before Christ, and Christ would say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Peter ends this section with verse 5. It says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If the leaders lead not with the biblical authority, self-imposing, overruling, we are asking for the active opposition of God. We're not submitting. We're not dressed in clothes of humility. And if the congregation is not following dressed in humility, we are asking an active opposition of God because he opposes the proud, but he grace to the humble. But I want to finish with the words of appreciation toward God, toward the leadership, present leadership here. It's amazing privilege. It's amazing privilege to work together and to be humble, to grow, to lead. And I want to thank you Grace Hill Church, that you're following, submitting, being humble, seeking the will of God. We have an amazing congregation, the flock of God, and it is my joy to serve alongside with the rest of the Bible study leaders, shepherds, Sunday school teachers. In a sense, who cares for the official title? That is the job that must be done before God. May the Lord richly bless you and grant you according to his mercy and his grace to grow in your faith and become mature church. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we humble before you. It is an impossible task. It is a impossible task. And if you didn't promise to us to be with us along the way and encourage us and exhort us to shepherd the flock, we will bail a long time ago. But you instill the joy of ministry and the hope for the eternal reward standing before you and seeing you face to face serving Christ. This is why we're in the ministry, serving Christ leading people to Christ to become mature. We praise you, we honor you. In Christ's name, amen.